It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. On today's show, do not let down your guard. It is not time to declare victory and go home. We are still in the first half. The latest on the protests. Also, the latest on COVID, where it's also not time to declare victory and go home. Although we're doing just that. But first, we begin with some more good news. Remarkable, so exciting when we get to report on good news, and this is really good news. The United States Supreme Court, yes, that United States Supreme Court, just ruled that Title VII covers discrimination against the LGBTQ community. Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act bans discrimination in employment based upon, among other things, sex. The question was, does identifying a sex as a transgendered individual or does sexual orientation get covered by Title VII? There had been mixed results in the courts. Up until now, the United States Supreme Court, by a somewhat shocking 6-3 to majority, has concluded that Title VII, in fact, covers LGBTQ persons. It is remarkable. It is earth-shattering. It is the decision that we should absolutely be out celebrating in socially distanced and safe ways. And it is a remarkable reminder of how far this country has come in in so many respects. I I was asked by a student in class today about this decision. I said, does this give you hope? (laughs) It's sort of nice, actually. I think a student was concerned for my mental well-being. Says, does this give you hope? And I was put in the position again of reminding my students that it is strange times indeed where I have a lot of hope right now. I also have a lot of fear. A reminder, as I've spoken, my faithful listeners will remember this, I've spoken a lot about the fact that this country is moving dramatically in two directions at the same time, which is what scares the hell out of me. It scares the hell out of me because the wrong side might win. The Trump backlash against social progress in this country and a more decent, caring, thoughtful society may ultimately prevail. More than that, it's unsustainable to be going full speed ahead in two opposite directions at the exact same time. So it reminds me how scary the November of 2020 elections are for me right now, what's going to come of this. Because in so many respects, we are making such remarkable progress. This first story about the Supreme Court decision on rights for the LGBTQ community against employment discrimination. And the next story about the protests, all tremendously positive, not the motivation for them, of course, but change that is likely to come from these things is remarkable. I was reminded that... It was only five years ago that the Obergefell v. Hodges decision by the United States Supreme Court uh, banned marriage discrimination and made same-sex marriage a reality countrywide. I reminded my students, not even reminded, they're so young they had no idea, but I got to tell my students that when this case was first brought, just a little bit before that, 
many in the in the gay rights community felt concerned that the case was brought too quickly, that it was premature, that the country wasn't ready for it. Well, not only by 2015 was the country ready for it, but it was almost a done deal by the time Obergefell came out. This country was so clearly moving in the direction of reducing discrimination against the LGBTQ community and in favor of same-sex marriage rights that it almost was, was, was an anticlimax when the Supreme Court came out with its decision. Obviously, it was not an anticlimax. But it was just a question at that point whether the, whether the Supreme Court was going to stick its feet in the sand for a few years longer until the country forced it to change. So remarkable now, even from then, to have come in five years to the idea that Title VII uh, provides protection from discrimination for this entire community. Absolutely remarkable and absolutely reason that all decent Americans should be celebrating at this point. Also a reminder, this decision is wonderful. It's also shocking. And a reminder that it should not restore our faith in the United States Supreme Court, as some people will, of course, undoubtedly, inevitably, be too quick to do. Oh, this is just proof that the Supreme Court, you may not agree with them all the time, but they are fundamentally about honesty. Well, they are not. It is shocking in part as a reminder that this is the United States Supreme Court that just a short time ago said that people who wanted to vote in Wisconsin were going to have to risk death in order to do it because that promoted the Republican position. It is the Supreme Court that just a couple years ago basically destroyed municipal labor unions and its path to prevent economic equality in this country. It is a Supreme Court that we still tremble at the thought of what it's going to do regarding abortion rights and right to privacy. These are constitutional questions, not a question of the 1964 Civil Rights Act or statutory interpretation. These are different questions. It is a reminder that the United States will not, the United States Supreme Court will not be an agent of progress in this country. In fact, the only thing it will continue to do is stand in the way of progress. That is what this United States Supreme Court will do. That being said, as I indicated last week, the United States Supreme Court should not be looking at a leader in civil rights, but in this case, we should be happy that the United States Supreme Court should be looked at as a bellwether. Maybe bellwether isn't the right word. Maybe, maybe roadkill would be a better way to describe it. Maybe the United States Supreme Court and the conservatives on the United States Supreme Court were roadkill. And what were they roadkill from? They were roadkill from an American public that is moving forward fast enough that this United States Supreme Court is unable all the time, at least, to stand in the way. And that is something to be hopeful about although not something to let our guards down about. Roadkill, a poll released this month, found that 82% of Americans, including 71% of Republicans, said that the Supreme Court should extend civil rights protections to people identifying as gay and lesbian. Just a remarkable sea change in public opinion in this country and an example of one area where the United States Supreme Court, even with its with its completely inappropriate and unjustified and stolen ultra-conservative majority cannot stand in the way. 
Yes, I continue to be cynical about the United States Supreme Court, and you should too. The idea that this proves that the United States Supreme Court, though they might disagree with us somewhat on ideology, is at least honest and and making their decisions with integrity, continues to be bullshit. I looked at this decision, and I must say the decision is recent enough. I have not had a chance to read it or even read much commentary about it. But my first thought when I read that John Roberts was in the majority of the six to three decision. I remembered that Roberts had issued a dissenting opinion just a few years ago in Obergefell. As I point out, that was a constitutional question. This is a statutory interpretation. Maybe it's just different. On the other hand, maybe it is an indication of movement that is forced upon Roberts. Maybe this is an indication where Roberts saw the popularity of this and the handwriting on the law, a handwriting on the wall, and said the United States Supreme Court of which I am the chief justice, cannot so completely delegitimize itself to be seen as so obviously standing in the way of what the public wants in this case. I'm still cynical enough that when this decision came out, my first thought in reading that Roberts was in the majority, well, you know, just as a practical sense, the, it was an opinion written by Neil Gorsuch, by the way, a, a, a rabidly conservative Trump appointee. Neil Gorsuch wrote the opinion. It's interesting that the opinion would be written by one of the renegade conservatives who switched sides on this one rather than the four thinking and reasoning justices who were on the other side. In other words, the moderates who otherwise. And I thought about the fact that it is the senior judge in the majority that gets to assign the majority opinion. And maybe part of the reason that Roberts joined the majority was so that he can assign the writing of the opinion to Gorsuch. Maybe that would ensure that the decision was re- was written more narrowly than it otherwise could have been, than Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for instance, might have written it. Now, maybe that's not even true. I do notice that there was no concurrence written, which is what would likely happen if the majority opinion was written more conservative than most of the majority wanted. There were dissents written, of course, by the by the reactionary conservative justices, but they were just dissents. So maybe this is good. I still wouldn't hold your breath on even societal issues, social issues here, about the United States Supreme Court not blocking progress. But what a wonderful sign of the United States Supreme Court's inability to get in the way sometime. As far as a campaign issue, of course, I've spoken about the fact that I believe that John Roberts' decision in the Affordable Care on the Affordable Care Act to uphold the provisions of the Affordable Care Act was a long-term game political decision as to what would preserve an issue for Republicans rather than prevent Republicans from getting into political office. I still believe that. Maybe this was a decision designed to keep this issue up as a campaign issue for the rabid right. Yes, perhaps even 71% of Republicans support the Supreme Court doing something to promote uh, LGBTQ rights. But one can presume that Donald Trump's hardcore supporters are not among that group. They are among the exception. So maybe this is still part of keeping this going as a campaign issue. The, the The side fighting for freedom and equality will relax just a little bit, whereas Trump's people, as they were in 2016, will be animated to go to the polls. That seems to to make sense in light of the fact that despite this opinion, the Trump administration seems to be going in exactly the opposite direction. 
just this week having finalized a regulation that will erase protections for transgendered patients against discrimination by doctors, hospitals, and health insurance companies. A move which, to make its, its point clear, was made on was announced on the four-year anniversary of the massacre at a gay nightclub in Orlando and in the middle of Pride Month, sending a statement to his supporters that Donald Trump will have your back when it comes to bigotry. The rule, it was pointed out, does not differ much from a proposed version released last year. It's part of a broad Trump administration effort across multiple areas of policy, including education, housing, and employment, as well as healthcare, to narrow the legal de definition of sex discrimination so that it does not include protections for transgender people. Its efforts to do that, certainly with respect to employment, were just undermined by the United States Supreme Court. Let's hope that all the rest of that is coming next. So speaking of improvements and moving forward in this country, the protests continue across America and the world. They continue to be overwhelmingly peaceful. They've been given, of course, more reason for the protests as another killing of a black man, unjustified police killing of a black man, Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta, was exposed this week. And we're, we're shown the importance of the protests and the need for the protests by Donald Trump announcing a week or so ago at the beginning of this week, yes, a lot has happened since I spoke to you last, that he was planning a rally on June 19th in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a campaign rally to energize the faithful. Well, you've all heard this by now because a lot has happened, a lot's been made of this since then. Was there a message being made that he was planning this rally for June 19th or Juneteenth, the day commemorating basically the end of slavery in Tulsa, the site of one of the worst, if not the single worst, race massacre in this country's history? People said, do you think that this was a dog whistle? Do you think that this was intentional? Of course it was intentional. Of course it was sending a message. Tulsa, the site of race, of race massacre? Juneteenth is the day. These people are incompetent, but it did not escape their notice. Tulsa, by the way, almost 300 dead in that race massacre. It probably wasn't lost on the president, or more likely his, his advisor in charge of racism, uh, Stephen Miller, that Tulsa is also the site of where a police ma major recently said that police officers have been shooting black people there, quote, less than we ought to, close quote. It was also the place where the city's police department recently announced an investigation into the arrest of a black teenager for jaywalking. In other words, a place that still has some, uh, some reckoning with race to be done in Tulsa. Well, good news that Trump, it was completely unintentional, or in fact, as Trump said, it was, it was done to show respect for uh, for black people and how and how far they need to come. Well, it turns out he's showing that respect now on June 20th rather than June 19th. That he's been forced to postpone his Trump rally by a day. Was this a, was this a mistake that they had to overcome? Sure, just like it was a mistake that President Ronald Reagan, that Ronald Reagan, when he was running for office the first time, held his first campaign rally in the environs of Philadelphia, Mississippi, famous for the murder of civil rights workers. So here we could take pride in the fact 
that changes were being, are being made, that rallies and Americans standing up and fighting for their rights and fighting for equality will actually can actually promote change, even among the racists currently running this country and the racists who currently support them. So I guess now we'll have Juneteenth will, I'm thinking forevermore, be known as Backlash Day. I guess 620 will now turn into Backlash Day. Will Donald Trump, the racist in chief, holds a rally uh, for his racist supporters to as a backlash against people fighting in this country for justice. So let June 20th ever forever be known in this country as Backlash Day, where the shit rears its ugly head and fights against progress. I note, by the way, that the Trump rally is being held against the wishes of Tulsa officials, not necessarily because they think that calling attention to Tulsa's racist past is a bad idea, but because it turns out COVID is spiking in Oklahoma and Tulsa. But we're not talking about COVID yet. We'll, we'll come back to this issue in just a few minutes. So there are things looking up because of these protests. We are seeing that racist police officers committing murder or inappropriate violence against black people are getting fired quicker than they had been that charges are being brought against them that would never have been brought were this not these protests not to have been occurring in fact as a sign of the tremendous protests you know that mississippi is getting closer and closer to having a majority of its citizens thinking that it should get rid of the confederate battle flag Confederate battle flag, by the way, not being a monument to the Confederacy, but being a monument to the racist backlash against the Union victory of the Civil War, against the civil rights movement, for instance. Yes, Mississippi, which is why I echo, I think, many of my fellow citizens in saying, Mississippi, don't you still want to secede? I mean, you should give it a thought. Maybe you want to secede. Get the hell out of here. But maybe best of all, as far as things looking up, the president of the United States just signed an executive order regarding the police. Not happily, you can bet. Forced to do this by the protests. An executive order designed to address police misconduct, or at least designed to throw some tidbits of victory to the rabble to try to get them to go away. But it's still some progress. What did Trump's executive order do? Or does it do? Well, it bans chokeholds by police officers. Well, okay, it doesn't quite ban chokeholds. It bans chokeholds other than if the police officer's life is at risk. Or, I should say, is deemed to be at risk by that police officer and his or her friends. Okay, still, it's progress. The executive order encourages more professional standards for police officers. Uh, I guess because you can't have less professional standards or fewer professional standards. Both of those work either way, considering what we've got going on around this country. But it encourages more professional standards. That's really uplifting. I'm sure great progress there. It sets up a database to track multiple instances of police misconduct. I'm not sure what multiple is at this point. I don't know that we know yet. 
I'm not sure we know who that database is going to be shared with, but it represents some progress. At least the police officers can't get away and cover up a certain amount of misconduct. That's improvement. It, fund, it has funding incentives to improve training for police officers. Now, the more I've been listening to from experts about this, the more I'm kind of getting really a little bit uh, down about the whole idea about, about training. Uh, we should be doing it. It will make some changes. But unless you're improving the underlying bigotry that goes beyond it, you can train these officers all you want. But if the whole environment they work in is racist and bigoted and complete lack of accountability for police officers, the training really isn't going to do very much. And experts seem to be indicating that training is a very limited benefit at best. But okay, so we'll, it couldn't hurt, right? Improve training. Uh, Trump's executive order... Uh, provides resources to help law enforcement respond to nonviolent calls. Uh, I guess, again, the devil will be in the details there. I guess there's some improvement there. I, I don't know what those resources will be. Maybe if the police officers get to show up for nonviolent calls in an actual tank, maybe that will reduce their proclivity toward violence. My facetiousness here being about the fact that we should be happy that the president of the United States was forced to actually do something and pay lip service to this. We should not forget the fact that the president of the United States is paying lip service to this and will be paying lip service for as long as he can get away with paying lip service to this. But at least it wasn't the least he could do. That is important. We forced him into doing something. The least he could do would have been nothing which is what he would have preferred. Maybe talk about good people on both sides. And that gives me an opportunity to talk a little bit, another reminder this week, about how the governor of New York is still basically a piece of shit. I know Andrew Cuomo has been getting all these raves about his handling of the coronavirus, at least until you look into the actual policies implemented and whether he deserves raves for handling, handling the, the coronavirus. Cuomo has gotten raves from not even just the usual suspects, and I've been fighting back against this a little bit, because he hasn't been Trump. And by not being Trump, that's setting a remarkably low bar, a bar we could roll over, a remarkably low bar by seeming to indicate two things. One, that he has a fucking clue, that he has an idea what is going on in New York State and what is going on in this country to distinguish him from the president of the United States. And they had a, that he has some ability to show empathy and caring for citizens of New York State, which, again, the president of the United States has shown himself completely un, un, incapable of doing. I believe I've argued on the show that Cuomo has been getting way too much credit for doing way too little. But okay, well, this week he reminded us why we really shouldn't be so quick to jump on the Andrew Cuomo bandwagon. Andrew Cuomo having said out loud to protesters, you won, protesters, go home. I said to my students about this, look, let's be fair. To the extent that the governor of New York is worried about the safety of citizens of New York, and he's worried about protests during COVID, I can understand, and of course it won't look good for him if, you know, if it bounces back. He's worried about his political skin. But to the extent that he's worried about the health and safety of his citizens, good. Maybe this is inartfully stated. And I would hope that the governor of the state of New York would have a little better idea how to state this a little bit more artfully. 
you won, protesters, go home. A reminder that the protesters haven't won anything yet, or they've won very little so far. Yes, New York passed a couple of laws that will make some changes. This goes, it is offensive that the governor would say that. The idea that this is all about getting a couple of laws passed to rein in the police. What we are seeing now is as it needs to, this protest is rising to the level of a national movement to not just change laws governing police, but to change the laws that keep black people down all across this country. Way broader than that. That fight is not won. And in fact, as is usually the case, if people believe that fight is won, they will turn around and they will go home and the fight will be lost. And we will go back to where we were before with a couple of rules enacted that might make modest cosmetic changes in some places. No, the fight continues in America. As I said to, uh, to protesters walking around in my neighborhood the other day, do you think this is going to be different? Do you think this one has legs? The response, of course, was, I hope so. And my response was, I hope so, too. And in order for this protest to have legs, it had better keep using those legs to march right into November of 2020. Or we will be back, maybe not at square one, but at square two. That is why, because of what's at stake here and the pushback against social change and promoting social equality is why you are hearing so much about how the issue is protesters going too far protesters throwing rocks through windows this is the big story i want to point out that the people who know what's going on are still saying including the fbi i understand is has still been saying that most of the violence was begun or committed by the right by instigators by people who are in trying to discredit these protests. But as I indicated last week, it is clear that some of the maybe inappropriate activity, the looting, the violence, is being conducted by actual protesters. Nevertheless, it is a red herring in any event. Either way you look at it, it is a red herring to start talking about protesters committing violence, considering the extent of the violence that has been perpetrated against people in this community for hundreds of years. Red herring, this is like, you know, this is like talking about Germany in the 1940s and focusing on the fact that some German Jews were notorious jaywalkers. With all due respect, I may not be a fan of jaywalking. Actually, mostly I don't give a shit about jaywalking. But anyway, we may not be fans of jaywalking. But do you think maybe in Germany in the 1930s and 1940s, focusing on Jewish jaywalkers was kind of missing the ball a little bit? Just, you know, kind of missing the big picture here? And that's what's happening here. And yes, it's getting kind of pathetic how much people and media is focusing on on the pretty rare, by all accounts, instances of violence or looting, as opposed to the issues at hand, which is what the right, the white supremacists want us to do. Let's focus people on what really matters here. We could say tisk tisk about the looters, but the people committing genocide are a hell of a lot worse. And I'm not just speaking here out of a vacuum. I keep talking to people including former students, who keep bringing a desperately want to focus on the violence. I heard from a former student, a good kid, who out of the blue emailed me after not talking to him for years and said, 
wow, what do you think about these protests? I'm not sure how I, how, which side I'm on and how I'm going to vote, whatever. But gee, these protests, I think they're really turning a lot of people off, don't you think? And I'm thinking, well, how do you respond to the fact that a lot of the stuff that's turning you off is being committed by the right, not the left? We're now seeing, by the way, forget the instigators and insiders at the actual protests, but now we're seeing violent counter-protests, violent counter-protests that have led our authorities to say, we feel we're getting attacked. This is by people on the right protesting against the protests. So, gee, maybe that should be really worrying you. Spoiler alert, it's not. It's not going to be worrying these people. It's not going to be worrying, worrying my students who are worried about, who are focusing on the violence, nor my former students who desperately still want their tax cuts and therefore will focus on the violence rather than the genocide. It is somewhat pathetic. It is incredibly disturbing. The issue here is not the count, is not the protesting and the looting. The issue here is what they are fighting against. And what do I think about that? What do I think that this might lead people to vote Republican? If this leads you to, I, I, my response to the student was basically what I've said on the show a while ago. Show up for those Trump protests because some people are looting. But make sure when you do, you look to your left and you look to your right. Because one of those people is actually a Nazi. Oh my God, there's looters on the other side. And Hillary's emails. Oh my God, we better elect the white supremacist who's the criminal and incompetent because Hillary's emails. Get a grip, people. Learn what matters and what is important. Focus on the real issues here. The eternal question, of course, we face is what the hell does it, what does it take to get otherwise intelligent people to grasp desperately for stupid things to do what they wanted to do in the first place. Well, as I indicated before in a lot of the show, tax cuts for the most part. What is it that leads most of my right-wing friends, students, former students, to actually be a part of the Jewish community, the very rare minority in the Jewish community who support Republicans? I was asked about this in class the other day by a well-meaning and a bright, good student. Um, you make a Nazi reference. You know, Hitler was really, really bad. Let's not forget that. And my response, of course, is I'm the one who's not forgetting that. What the hell do you think never again means? We wait until three million are dead and then we say tisk tisk. No, never again means stopping it now. You don't get to put your tax cuts ahead of your solidarity with your Jewish brethren and all of the discrimination it has faced throughout history. You don't get to put that together and support Donald Trump and then turn around to Jews who understand what never again means and accuse us of being less Jewish. Anyway, that brings us back to COVID. COVID news this week, there was a lot of it again. I'm excited it doesn't have to be the opening story, but probably will be coming back to being the opening story pretty soon. Among the COVID news was Donald Trump moved the Republican convention to Jacksonville, Florida, has been threatening to do. Take that, North Carolina. You suckers. We're not going to come there and infect your population and make them sick and kill a lot of them. Ha! You're going to miss out on the money. Which, to be fair, I'm sure plenty of people in North Carolina are really upset about that. Oh, you mean just because their citizens aren't going to die? 
Uh, we're not going to get that convention and get all that business. So instead, it's going to move to Florida because Florida isn't so overly concerned about COVID and spreading a global deadly disease. Yes, um, they've moved it to North Carolina. Related news here. Less than a week after all 50 states had lifted stay-at-home orders or begun regional reopenings, it turns out coronavirus infections rose this past week in 22 states, many of which are experiencing record levels of new infections. Or, as Fox News puts it, a mysterious outbreak of heart, heart attacks for some reason in some of these states that are opening up and relaxing social distancing and protection measures. So that's coming to Florida. Florida, by the way, one of those states that is experiencing record levels of new infections. So you know what you should do, Florida? Invite the Republican convention to town. I've said this before. I hope you all lick each other's faces, but stay there. When the, when the convention is over, Let's build a wall around it and let's keep those sons of bitches there for two weeks before we inflict them on the rest of the population. Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, Oregon, Arizona, among the states that are setting one day records. Or as Vice President Mike Pence showing his usual intelligence and decency says it's not really more cases, it's just due to more testing. This is something that the President of the United States has jumped on. We're not getting more cases, we're just doing more testing. I just want to pause for a moment here when the President of the United States is attributing an uptick, record numbers of new cases to the fact that we're doing more testing. Does anyone want to talk for a moment about the fact that this is the President of the United States who told us months ago that our testing was unbelievable and everybody was getting tested? Yes, if you're listening to this show, you might be able to understand that that seeming oxymoron there, that inconsistency. If you are a Trump supporter, of course, well, you're too busy with your thumb in your mouth to have any idea what the hell I'm talking about right now because it does not compute. The cult leader said something that was true a, a month ago. He said something that's true today. True and true, despite the fact that they are completely contradictory. Yes, so the President of the United States has been telling us the testing is fine, is now telling us that the only reason we're seeing an uptick is not because we're relaxing the rules, but because we're doing more testing. And uh, Trump supporters say, yeah, yeah, see, liberals own the libs, man. Um, by the way, do I need to point out that it's not true? Do I need to point out that that is not why the uptick in new cases? People who actually know what they're talking about and have some honesty and integrity all say, uh, yeah, that's not why. That's not why we are seeing a, an uptick in these cases. But that won't stop the president or the vice president of the United States from lying about it, of course. Um, this is, of course, going to add to Donald Trump's numbers. I have to be clear here. Uh, in our ongoing uh, contest of who has killed more Americans throughout history than Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump is once again improving his case. And he will be improving it by taking it to Jacksonville, Florida in a little while. Uh, you know who else is on the uptick, by the way, as far as number of cases? You know who else is setting records? I mentioned this a few moments ago. Oklahoma. 
Now, why is that worth noting? It's Oklahoma after all. And what most of us think about Oklahoma is we really would be better in our lives if we never ever had to think about Oklahoma. But here's Oklahoma now making news by being on the uptick in coronavirus infections. Well, some of you might remember back to earlier in the show when I talked about the fact that Donald Trump is going to be holding his campaign rally later this week in Oklahoma, in Tulsa. Turns out Tulsa officials, officials would kind of prefer that he didn't under the circumstances. Won't look real good for their re-election prospects that they're getting a whole bunch of people sicker and sicker and sicker. Who else realizes that this is an issue? Well, of course, Trump and the Republican Party do. It's really just remarkable how insane their supporters are, how stupid their supporters are, and how and how absolutely bereft of any kind of moral integrity Trump is. And they are forcing attendees at this Trump rally to sign a liability waiver. There's no problem here. There is nothing to be concerned about. There is no danger. This COVID thing is all being uh, exaggerated. But I need you to sign here that when you get sick and maybe die, that you and your family won't be able to sue us, okay? Uh, morons, morons, calling morons. Is there any, any, any room in there for some gray matter? Any of this makes sense? They think you're a fucking disgrace. They think you're stupid. Not just we liberals. The people you support think even less of you than we do. But, you know, the uptick, who could have seen this coming? Who could have seen that the coronavirus would be making a resurgence in these places where we are relaxing social distancing guidelines and rules designed to prevent this? Oh, right. Everybody who's not in the Trump administration or is not watching Fox News or on Fox News. Everybody saw this coming. It is a surprise to nobody. It's getting much worse. It's going to make the rebound much worse because we around America have started getting more and more complacent, in part because of Fox News. And yes, in part, even because of so-called reasonable people on the left. I'm listening to Bill Maher this week and I'm hearing him trash these the, the shutdowns and social distancing rules. And I cannot believe I'm hearing this from a person who supposedly is on the left, although he's had his issues with many issues in the past. This is not a good idea, Bill. It's not a good idea for anybody. This is a deadly global pandemic. I'm sorry if we had to shut businesses for a little while, but you know who thought that was a good idea? Health experts thought that was a good idea. Now, obviously, TV talk show hosts might think otherwise, but... I'm kind of more inclined to listen to the health experts on this one. It's good that we have a healthy debate, but the healthy debate should generally be among people who know what the hell they're talking about, and that probably generally includes health professionals and epidemic professionals. This is leading to more deaths. Encouraging people to not follow the rules is going to lead to more dead people. We can discuss the gray areas, and there clearly is a gray area here. There is some merit to what Bill Maher is saying, but let's be clear that Bill Maher saying it will almost certainly lead to some people dying. I had a student ask me in class, maybe the same student, what about all these poor small businesses that are suffering? Well, we're dealing with a deadly global pandemic, and I don't want small businesses to suffer, but I don't want many millions of people to die needlessly. Let's remember what the stakes are here. 
By the way, let's also remember what's been going on here. I said to my student, what do you think we should do about small businesses? Would you feel the same way if it was Ebola traveling around this country? We should allow them to be open and let millions of people get infected and die so that they don't lose profit. I said, here's what I would propose. Let's shut these businesses down. But understanding that they have to be shut down through no fault of their own because of the pandemic, let's give them money to allow them to get through this. Wow, what a good idea. You know whose idea it was? It was the idea of Democrats. It was what Democrats are proposing. It is what Democrats want to do. It is what liberals want to do. Who is standing in the way of that? Yeah, the people who are telling us how important it is for businesses to reopen so that Americans could go back to dying in spectacularly high numbers. It is the Republicans, you remember, who looted the money that was designed to help these small businesses get through this crisis. It was Republicans who saw the national bailout as an opportunity to steal a whole lot of money. It was the Democrats who had to hold off on the bill until there were some protections put in for how the money would be spent so Republicans couldn't just steal the money. And since that time, we've only found out that the Republicans have figured out how to get around all those protections. Just this week, it was reported that the richest hospitals in the world are getting billions of dollars in bailout money that was not meant for them, that was meant for small businesses. And at the same time, they are furloughing their employees, you know, those essential workers, those brave nurses and other healthcare workers who've been keeping people alive and fighting at the front lines. It's been laying these people off taking away their salary while continuing to give tens of millions of dollars to their CEOs, their high executives in bonuses. The Treasury Secretary of the United States government testified to the American, testified recently to Congress that the American public has no right to know where its money is being spent. That's what he testified. You have no right to know where we're spending your money because the Republicans are looting all of it. If your concern is for small businesses, the answer isn't to open up everything and lead to more deaths in America. The answer is to vote Democratic and allow the American government to help the businesses we think should be helped while managing to protect America. All right. That's it for today's show. On our next show, we will talk about business and its role in killing Americans because I feel that businesses are being overshadowed at this point. And we'll finally get to that and some more issues while keeping up with the news. Until then, thanks for joining us. Be safe. Be careful. Have a good week. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 